0: Be with you today. I'm so glad that you are here. It is such a joy and delight to uncover God's truths with you. In our world today, there are so many distractions. For you to be watching this video right now was your deliberate choice. To watch it till the end will bring you the most benefit. Stopping early and looking for something else will just waste your time. What you need to do is to keep focused. That means be attentive. They say that the children are the best learners. Have you heard that? They're the fastest learners. Why? Because they're curious. They love to explore. They love to play and discover. Question, how many of you want to really discover something today? You all do, I hope. This series is focused on discovering by uncovering. We're looking at the parables that Jesus taught uncovering the truth and discovering what it means to us. As we start, let me just give you an exercise, okay? Just to make sure that you're focused. I want you to be focused and attentive, okay? Are you with me? Okay, I want you to stand up, stand up. Yeah, I know that you're relaxed, sitting in your chairs, in your sofas, but I want you to stand up, please. Just stand up, just for a minute, okay? Now, if you're driving, please don't stand up. Just just listen, okay? I want you to take your right hand. Take your right hand, follow me, okay? Now, I want you to raise your hand and shake it. Shake it, really shake it. You want to learn faster? You want to remember more? Shake it, shake it fast, shake it out, okay? Now, make a fist. Now, put your fist to your chin. Is that your chin? Hello, this is not your chin. Are you guys asleep? Are you guys paying attention? Okay, you may sit down, you may sit down. The reason I had you do that exercise is just to show you that it is so easy to lose focus and be distracted. Most of you, I'm sure you want to multitask while you're listening. But can I tell you, you will not learn or retain much unless you listen with your mind and your heart and also with your eyes and your ears. Did you catch that? Some of you caught that. I know. Well, this parable, they say, is one of the most difficult, confusing, and most misunderstood parables that Jesus ever taught. Today you will discover and be amazed at how easy it is to uncover what Jesus truly meant. This will help you apply it in your life to fulfill what will bring God the greatest glory and prepare yourself for your greatest future. Are you ready? Let's begin. This is a parable about money. Yes, about money. You know, if you think about it, It's not unusual because one out of every three parables that Jesus taught talked about money. Jesus knew that we have money issues and that he needed to give us guidance and direction on how to use money rather than be confused or abused by money. Each and every one of you who is listening right now, tell me, when did you last think about money? When? I'm sure it was what? Within the last 24 hours, right? Yeah. How many of you can live without money? Or oh, maybe, maybe should I should change the question. Maybe I should ask, how many of you can live without your credit card? We all somehow deal with money every day. And Jesus teaches us a life story so that we may learn a spiritual lesson for life. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Luke chapter 16. And we shall uncover verses 1 to 13. This parable is entitled The Parable of the Unjust Steward or The Parable of the Dishonest Steward or in some Bibles it's it's mentioned as The Parable of the Shrewd Manager. The title alone tells you what we're going to uncover. I've entitled this message Be Shrewd for God's Kingdom. What? Yes, yes. And you'll be surprised. We're going to look at Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 9. It says here, Now he was also saying to the disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and this steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. And the steward said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the stewardship away from me, I'm I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down, Quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he acted shrewdly, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. It seems like the master complimented, he praised this unrighteous, dishonest manager. You're saying, What? How could this be? What did Jesus mean? It seems like incompetence and dishonesty are praised and rewarded. Is that what Jesus was teaching us to do as well? Well, that is what we shall uncover with these three principles in order to be shrewd for God's kingdom. Number one, be wise. Number two, be faithful. And number three, be loyal. Let's take it from the beginning. Luke chapter 16, verse 1 says, Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and this steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. Now Jesus was telling his disciples about this very wealthy man who had a manager. In some Bibles, this manager is called a steward. Same thing, a steward or manager, is essentially a person who's entrusted to manage something he doesn't own on behalf of his master. Now, these are often possessions, business matters. Friends, do you realize that we are all stewards? Yeah, we've all been appointed by God, whether we know it or not, to manage God's resources that he has given us. Like what? Remember the four T's. For example, time, Mm. talent, talent which are spiritual gifts. Then you have treasure. And the fourth T is truth. Now there are a few others, but these are the major ones. Each one of us has been given these resources. They don't belong to us, but God is holding us responsible to use these resources for his purpose. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, This is the way any person is to regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. You're asking yourself the question, what are the mysteries of God? Friends, this is the truth of the gospel. The truth that salvation is a free gift of God that we can receive by faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the truth that we must not keep to ourselves but share with others. It goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy or faithful. As stewards, God is looking to see whether we are trustworthy of the gifts he has given us. Going back to Luke, chapter 16, verse 2. It says, and he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. This steward is apparently mismanaging and was dishonest with his master's finances, with his master's possessions. So he appears before this master and he's told, What have you done? I trusted you with my business. Now I hear that you've been wasting and squandering my possessions. How could you do this to me? The steward's silence, with no defense on his part, was a sign that he was guilty as charged. And he accepted his master's decision. The master says, I want a final report. Give me an accounting. Oh, by the way, just like the infamous Donald Trump, he says to him, You're fired. Okay, so far, not too hard to understand, right? Let's continue. In verse 3 and 4, it says there, And the steward said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the stewardship away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I know what I will do, so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. Friends, this was a wake up call. Everything that is hidden will come to light. Your sin will find you out. All of us will give an account for what we have done in our lives. No amount of earthly riches is worth being dishonest for, especially when heavenly riches are worth so much more. This steward, he knew that he was out of a job and even a home. You see, in those days, stewards lived on the estate of their masters. He looked at the situation, and he realized that he cannot do manual labor. He was probably too old. He, he's too proud to beg for money. But at this moment, he has a eureka moment. I've got a plan, he says. I know what I will do, so when I'm out in the streets, people will welcome me into their homes. Makes sense? All right. Verse five and six. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors and he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Can you imagine? Your debt is reduced by 50%. You would pay it immediately, right away. In verse seven, it says, Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Here he gives this debtor a senior discount, 20%. 20% discount, which is also very big. Now, Jesus doesn't give us details about all the other debtors who are lined up, who are given big discounts and paid their debts. So, this steward came up with this resourceful plan of reducing the amount the debtors owed his master so that they would be grateful for getting a discount. He did this so that when the time comes that he is in need of help, these debtors will owe him a big favor. In Tagalog, what do we call this? Utang na loob, right? Huh? In English, uh, debt inside. Well, it's more like a debt of gratitude. This seems like a smart plan. So far, easy to understand, right? But you, are you paying attention? Come on, come on. Are you paying attention? Okay, because this is where it gets confusing for some. Luke 16, verse 8. It says here, And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. Does that make sense? Why would his master... Compliment, praise him for being shrewd. Friends, when you hear the word shrewd, what comes to your mind? You may think right away of someone who's crooked, conniving, a cheater. But the word shrewd, however, has a positive side to its definition. It's defined as to be wise, prudent, clever, intelligent, In Tagalog, shrewd is wais or matalino. Now, to call a businessman today shrewd is generally a compliment. Now, wait, wait, wait. Why did this master praise the shrewd steward for cheating him out of his money? What's really going on here? Now, friends, in order to understand this, we need to understand the culture during the time of Jesus. Let me explain In their culture, an owner would hire a steward to collect his debts. According to tradition and sources, whatever the steward charged over and above the debt, that was their payment. It was like a commission for their work. Got it? This was very similar to the tax collectors in those days. The tax collectors were Jews hired by the Roman government they were given a quota of tax to collect anything over and above the tax quota they collected they could put in their pocket now most tax collectors took advantage of their position and abused their authority and that's the main reason why tax collectors were hated in this story the shrewd manager did not cheat his master most likely What he did was he removed the commission he would have earned for himself. He sacrificed his profit by giving his master what was owed. That's why he was complimented. That's why he was praised. He made all the debtors happy because they got a substantial discount. And at the same time, he made friends with all the debtors who now owe him a huge favor. He used his present position and made plans to secure his future. What a shrewd steward. Are you with me so far? Now notice what it says in the end of verse 8. It says there, Jesus says, For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. What is Jesus saying to his disciples and us? First of all, Who are the sons of this age? They are those who represent unbelievers. Who are the sons of light? They are those who represent believers. What was Jesus doing? He was contrasting how unbelievers are wiser or more shrewd in their foresight of their future in this world compared to believers who do not intentionally prepare for the world to come. Jesus is not praising dishonesty. He's saying that if the worldly people can be shrewd or wise, then how much more shrewd ought the disciples and we be in our stewardship of his resources? Jesus taught his disciples about being shrewd in Matthew chapter 10. Now, in that context, Jesus sent the 12 disciples into the community to preach about the kingdom of heaven. He gave them spiritual authority and many instructions. He tells them in Matthew chapter 10 verse 16, he said, "Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves." The term shrewd there that's used is the same Greek word phronimos for wise. What Jesus is saying is so, so true. The people of this world will stop at nothing to ensure that their future is well taken care of. Would you agree? They will take risks and start companies. They will invest money to scale their businesses. They will partner with others to increase their market share. They will strategize and plan market expansions. They will capture social media platforms just to get ahead of their competition for the security of their future. The sad fact is that their future is only up to the end of their lives. But our future is eternity. Are you with me so far? Great. Understanding the essence of this parable is so important because Jesus now gives us the life principles that we ought to apply as shrewd stewards for God's kingdom. Luke chapter 16, verse 9 says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Point number one, be wise. Invest in eternity. Can you all say that? Be wise, invest in eternity. Jesus is using a bad example to teach us a good lesson. Now the word there, mammon, is the word wealth. And it's a general term that refers to money or possessions. Now when Jesus says unrighteous, or in some Bibles he says dishonest, or worldly wealth in other versions, he's stating how money gives us a false sense of security, a false sense of self-sufficiency, so that we don't depend on God. And that's how money becomes deceitful and dishonest. When in fact, money is simply a tool. It is not good or evil. Money in and of itself is nothing, but maybe paper that people put value to, The Bible says, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth or means of the mammon. Jesus encourages us as his followers to be wise, be generous in investing this wealth in the lives of others by sharing with them the truth of God's salvation while in this life so that in the life to come, these new friends who embrace the truth will welcome us into eternal dwellings which is God's kingdom. Jesus is not saying that we use dishonest wealth to buy friends and buy our way into heaven. When we reach out to others and bless them with our time, spiritual gifts, treasure, and the truth of God, all that God has graciously given us, we will make eternal friends by leading their souls to God so that we will see them one day in eternity. That's blessing others with your wealth. Jesus taught us that we cannot keep our money here, but we can send our money ahead of us. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. And today, the thieves could be cyber thieves. Verse 20 says, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You and I, we can't send up our house. You will have a more beautiful home. You can't send up your car. You'll be flying everywhere. The truth is, where you invest your life is where you will end up. Jesus said that money is a heart issue, and Jesus wants your heart. You and I know that we cannot use our money to secure our salvation. It is solely by God's grace through faith in Jesus that we are saved. But Jesus now teaches us as sons of light, we ought to be instruments of his grace to others. There are sadly so many who've been blessed by God who end up like the Dead Sea. Are you like a Dead Sea Christian? Whatever goes in, stays in and ends up dead and useless? If you look at the Dead Sea today, Nothing lives in it, everything that's there is dead. It's all salt. You ought to be like the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is alive. It's filled with fish and corals and sea life. Why? Because it keeps pouring out through the Jordan River. That's how you as a Christian should be. Constantly allowing God's blessings to flow through your life, to be a blessing to others. It's your choice. You can be like the Sea of Galilee or the Dead Sea. This is the law of God's universe. Would you do an experiment with me? I want you to inhale. Yes, yes, inhale, now, now, inhale, keep inhaling. Inhale as much as you want. Now do this for the next five minutes. Go ahead, keep inhaling, keep inhaling, is that great? I hope your life insurance policy is up to date. Now, what did you learn? The universe is designed for you To inhale and exhale. To earn money and give money away. Look within yourself and make sure that you don't just receive, but you give as well. Remember the pharaohs of Egypt? They deliberately took all their treasures, their gold, their silver, their wine, their perfume, their household items, all their tools, their chariots, their even their pets and their servants, and made sure that they were buried with them for their afterlife. Well, when their tombs were opened after thousands of years, their bodies were found mummified and all their stuff was still there. Friends, you're not taking anything with you. It's not going anywhere. In fact, somebody may take what you've worked for all your life, and when you eventually die, well, you leave it behind, and they may just waste it away. How can you invest your wealth wisely? Invest in your families so that they may follow Jesus Christ and be strong and secure in their faith. You can invest in your spiritual family, the church where you receive spiritual nourishment, You know, CCF has been blessed because some of you still give, even during this pandemic. CCF will continue to focus on evangelism and discipleship. Now, you can invest in giving to beyond missions, transforming souls in places far beyond your reach. You can invest by supporting our Elevate Campus missionaries to impact the lives of students at a young age. You can also invest in your local satellite, Tulung Tayo, to be a blessing to the less fortunate families during these times of need and emergencies. You can invest by giving to Christian schools and Christian organizations that build and train future Christian leaders who will impact the lives of thousands in the future. Some of you, you know who you are, are missing out on this privilege to be part of God's movement to reach out to many souls. I encourage all of you to be wise and invest for eternity. And by the way, you're not really giving your money. You're really returning your money to God for him to use so that souls may be touched and transformed for eternity. Let me tell you, when you get to heaven, many will know you And be grateful to you because you invested wisely in their lives that led to their salvation. What a tremendous gift God has in store for you. Jesus now goes on and gives us the second principle for being shrewd stewards for God's kingdom. In Luke chapter 16 verse 10, he says there, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous in much. The second principle is be faithful in little and in much. Can you all say that? Be faithful in little and much. Some people would say, you know, if I had more, I would give more. No, you wouldn't. Even if you won the lottery, Oh, and I'm not encouraging you to join, okay? But if you're not faithful with the little that you have today, you will definitely not be faithful if you had more tomorrow. It's not about how much you have, it's about who you love, it's about your priorities. Is heaven where your heart is today? Examine yourself right now and ask yourself how faithful and generous am I towards God. When you receive your income, through your business or your employment, and by the way, all of that comes from God himself. He gives it to you. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? Let me illustrate it with an apple, okay? If I had an apple, I could show you. I'm so glad I brought my apple today. Okay, now this apple represents your income, okay? How do you use it or how do you divide it up? Well, I'm so glad I brought my apple cutter. Now, Cindy, sorry, I didn't tell you I'd be using this for the message, but anyway, I'll, I'll ask for your forgiveness later on. So what do we do? We take the apple cutter. So you put the apple cutter in the center and you push down, there you go. That's it. Now, all these slices represent various expenses. You have here your food, Okay, you have your rental, very, expen- very important, your rental, your utilities. You have transportation g- to get around, okay. Of course, you can't forget your tuition for your children's schooling. And then you have uh, medical, medical expenses. And you have maybe your clothing, okay, clothing expenses. Then you have your cell phone. You have your debts, And all these other expenses are legitimate expenses. But oh, wait, 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 wait. What about God? We forgot God. Well, sadly, is this how unfaithful you are today? You know who you are. You keep getting from God, but sadly never returning anything to Him. And even if you think of giving Him anything, is it a useless leftover Friends, everything belongs to God. Even if you were to give, all that is left over is still His. Do you just spend what's left over in anything you please? How faithful are you with what you have left? Maybe some of you are thinking, what I have is, is so little, so small that it's meaningless if I give it. Friends, what do you give now? I know some of you, give in the millions, and some give 50 pesos. Praise God for each and every one of you. You know, to the world, there is comparison. But to God, he weighs the attitude of your heart. Are you giving cheerfully, generously, sacrificially, and worshipfully? That's the heart God is looking for. In Luke 16, verse 11, it says there, If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust the true riches to you? What is Jesus saying here? He's saying if you can't be faithful with earthly wealth, which isn't even yours to begin with, then how can he entrust you with true wealth? This true wealth refers to God blessing you with heavenly rewards. And the opportunity to work in God's service when you are in His kingdom. These are rewards of responsibility. We see this mentioned when Jesus taught on the parable of the talents in Luke 19, verse 17. It says there, And He said to him, Well done, good slave. Since you've been faithful in very little thing, you are to have authority over ten cities. Now, let's not just focus on money, okay? This little and much that we are supposed to be faithful in applies to everything that God has entrusted to you and me. Remember the four T's? Time, talent, treasure, and truth. The question you need to ask yourself today is, am I truly faithful with the little and the much that God has given me in life today? Jesus now goes on to the last principle that he wishes us to apply to be shrewd stewards for his kingdom. In Luke 16, verse 13, he says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The third principle that we learn is be loyal. Serve God alone. I want you all to say that. Be loyal. Serve God alone. You know, we're all family here. So I want to be transparent and and open with you. As I grew up, I really didn't know God. One thing for sure was that money was my God. I was obsessed. I was passionate. Filled with greed and Selfish ambition to make more and more money. That was my life. It came to the point that I I had accumulated a lot of money. But sadly, I had an empty heart and a meaningless life. It was only when I learned about Jesus Christ, the love and forgiveness of God, that my heart was filled with true joy, with peace and contentment. Now, don't think that just because you don't have a lot of money, this doesn't affect you. You can be poor and still obsessed with a sinful attitude of greed and selfishness. One of the biggest competitors for our heart today is money. How many of you have held two jobs? You've had two bosses at the same time. Or maybe several projects with different clients at the same time. Now, you definitely know how hard it is to please any one of them. What more when you have to please all of them at the same time? Impossible. Now, husbands, if there's one thing that your wives want from you, what would that be? Who said my money? Huh? (laughs) No. If you ask any wife, what will they say? They will say in so many words, but really bring it down to one word. And that word is, Loyalty. Husbands, you cannot tell your wife, I will give you 99% of my loyalty and reserve 1% for my ex girlfriend. Wives, how would you feel? I I can hear them saying, if that happens, they will execute you. (laughs) It is all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Just like with God be loyal, serve God alone. During the time of Jesus, slavery was abundant in the Roman Empire. The disciples understood this verse. You see, in the slave culture, such as theirs, when you were bought as a slave, you could never have two masters. Your loyalty was strictly to one master alone. And God is asking you today, who owns you? Who owns you? If your answer is, no one, I own myself. Sorry, wrong answer. Not a good answer. If you have truly surrendered and committed your life to God and are a genuine believer, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? and that you are not your own. Verse 20 says, For you have been bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. If you have truly committed your life to God, you today must willingly submit yourself to his ownership. He is your master and Lord. And that means you give your life to him in service and obedience. Now, some of you may say, you know, I'm a follower of Christ. But yet in practice, you follow your own ways. You need to choose whom you will serve. The true God or the fake God. It's like true God or self. True God or possessions. True God, or Korean novella. Oh, sorry, sorry. I know I've hit a sensitive heart, huh? Forgive me, forgive me. Please, please. <laughs> All right. Friends, listen. This doesn't mean that you cannot have a career and take care of yourself and your family or have possessions or even enjoy entertainment. It's simply pointing out that those things must not be your idols, or whatever you worship and serve rather than God. Question, how do you know if money is your master today? And that's a great question. That's a question I'm sure you're asking yourself right now. How do I know that money is my master? Am I a slave to money today? Well, friends, I will answer that question in the fast track right after this message, so don't miss out on that answer. The Bible does not say a man cannot be wealthy and enjoy God's provisions while still serving him. Being a slave to money is, however, very dangerous. It's a condition you don't want to be in. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money is not evil. It is the love of money. You can have a whole lot of money and not love it. And you can have very little money and love it like crazy. Do you know some people who love their money and are slaves to their wealth today? The name that comes to mind from the Bible is Judas. He was supposedly a follower of Christ. Can you imagine? For several years, he listened to the messages of Jesus, including this parable. But his desire and greed for money was stronger than his love for Jesus. What did he do? He willingly betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. How much will you sell Jesus in order to fulfill your temporal pleasures? Giving your heart to money will lead to spiritual suicide. Money is so deceiving because it promises you pleasure, joy, joy satisfaction contentment but in the end money lies you end up with nothing because what it gives you is emptiness and dissatisfaction knowing that you can never take it with you leaves you miserable trust it and you will be fooled money is like a like a treacherous mistress that makes you its slave when you're entangled with money, it won't let you go without a fight. What is the best way to be loyal and serve God alone? Jesus says in Matthew 6:33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be provided to you. What does that mean? It means when you put God first, and foremost in your life by serving him as your king because he has a kingdom and living right, meaning by the righteousness of Jesus. Living right, just like Jesus did. You need not worry about food, clothing, shelter. He promises to provide all your needs. You must ask yourself, am I living as a faithful steward shrewdly using the resources god has entrusted to me to invest in the kingdom of heaven for others to receive the truth of the gospel let me close with a poem that i compose and i pray will speak to your heart it's entitled giving in living holding tight never wanting to let go As a young boy, selfish me, I didn't know. I was taught to take and accumulate. Sharing with others caused me to hate. This is mine, I worked hard for years. It caused me a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Then came the day when I gave him my heart. It cost Jesus his life, my sin he set apart. It finally dawned on me, nothing will remain. I was holding on to things because I was vain. God in his grace gave his most precious son. I'm so ashamed of his love for me, a prodigal son. All that I have and all that I am is a gift from above. How could I resist giving him all of my love? The things of this world are temporal and fleeting. It's my relationship with Him that keeps my heart beating. I rejoice knowing that it's never too late to give back. Oh, what a privilege it is to be used to lead hearts on the right track. Letting go of possessions unshackles my greed. It strengthens my resolve and leads me to succeed. God has blessed me. With a simple standard of living, it truly makes today worth living because of giving. Let's join our heart in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord God, that you've given us everything we need for life. What's most especially true is that you've given us your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins. Let me just say, friends, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, make this prayer your prayer from your heart. Tell God, Lord God, I humbly admit that I'm a sinner and I need you. I know I cannot save myself, but I thank you for your unconditional love for sending Jesus Christ to pay for my sins through his sacrifice on the cross. Today, I commit my heart to you. I surrender my life and I receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Lord God, I'm all yours. Use me to bring you glory and honor. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Well, I hope and pray that you've been blessed by God's word today. And if this is your first time joining us in CCF, we would love to welcome you, welcome you to our family. We have a virtual welcome center with so many wonderful people ready to meet you. Please just click on the link you see below. And if you have any questions, just type your questions in the comment chat box and we will answer them immediately. It's been a joy spending this time with you. Next up is our fast track, and then we'll give you discussion questions for your time with your family and small groups. Thank you so, so much. I love you guys.